Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast, episode 46 for the 5th of Shvat in a leap year. Today we're going to be continuing with chapter 17, but first I'd like to begin with a story. It's actually a true story from a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, which I read a while back. The full details of the story you can read there, but I'll try to give a really brief overview, and it's, it's very tragic. The story begins with a woman who was pretty normal, you know, as far as people go, <laughs> and she was a housewife. She had three children and a husband very functional home, so functional in fact that everything was so super organized. Her kids were at school, they had their activities, her husband was working, everything. And she was left with not very much to do. And she was getting border and border day by day. She would occupy herself with all kinds of different activities and everything, but th- she felt very lonely and she felt very bored with her life. And one day while she was sitting on the couch, kind of feeling sorry for herself and watching a game show, she decided that that day before picking up her kids for school, she was going to go out and do something fun. So she drove out in her car and she went to visit a casino that was not too far from her home. And she had never been there before. She never gambled in her whole life. And she walked in and she played a game and it was pretty innocent. You know, she maybe one few dollars, lost a few dollars. I think she ended up winning maybe something small, like $40 or something like that. And she realized the time came and she had to go pick up her kids from school. So she left, you know, all was good. No big deal. Slowly but surely, this developed into an an innocent enough habit. She would do this, you know, every so often, nothing major. And it was pretty under control. Like nobody would have called it an addiction or anything like that. Then eventually at some point, unfortunately, her parents became sick and she had to visit them in an, in another um, state. And so she would go there pretty often and the stress of going there and coming back and increased her feelings of loneliness, especially when she realized that her family was kind of getting along without her. And slowly her visits to the casino became a little bit more frequent. And slowly but surely, you know, obviously there's a lot of details to the story this became an addiction and it became such a big addiction to the point that she actually ended up squandering away all of her savings, (laughs) her entire, everything that she owned. And she ended up owing the casino $20,000 and she had to declare bankruptcy. And, you know, it was really, really intense. And she, that was like sort of like her breaking point where she hit her low and she declared, and she, you know, renounced gambling for good and you know never going to happen. Lo and behold, her parents eventually died and they left her an inheritance that was close to a million dollars. And 
once again, there's a lot of details to this story, but basically she ended up slipping back into her habit and losing all of that money as well, losing all of the money from the inheritance, uh, taking out loans for the mortgage for her home. Like it, it was really, really, really terrible. She ended up owing like close to a million dollars. Like it, it was really tragic. And when her husband found out about it, I mean, you know, it was really terrible. And this ended up going to court and the question came up and this is, you might be like, why am I telling the story? But <laughs> the question came up of, was she responsible for her actions? Because if you actually look at the brain of an addict, they're not actually, you know, the reason why we call it an addiction is the addiction takes hold of them, hold of the person. And at a certain point, an addict is not responsible anymore for their actions. Like she, she was a very nice, pleasant and started out as a very normal lady who cared very much for her family and for her home and for her husband and everything. So this level of addiction that she was at this she got to a point of no return there was she could not control her actions so was she actually responsible for this was she you know did she have to pay back all these this debt did she have to pay for what she did and the courts ruled that yes she was actually responsible for her actions and how do we reconcile this because as we said it's if you look at the neurology of an of an addict they are no longer responsible for their actions and so this brings us to today's Tanya, where the ultra rabbit discusses this very idea of how much or how little are we responsible for our actions? Can we be thought of as addicts in a certain sense? And we'll learn that there are some people that do fall into this category of not really being in full control of their actions. However, they are still held responsible. And we'll try to understand why this is. So if you remember yesterday, we were discussing this idea that for a Bainerni, for the intermediate man, they may not be able to arouse this deep, passionate, conscious love within their heart for God. However, they are able to arouse a feeling and a sense of love for God just enough that it's practical and that it motivates them to serve God. And the altar abbot starts off the Tanya today and he says that this level, this ability to arouse within one's heart, this motivation to serve God, this actually, not only is this something that everybody can do, but this is actually the entire purpose of men. Because our world is the world of action. And it's only in the future that we're going to experience the full capacity and the pleasure of and reward from what we do. And we learned about how by, by nature, innately, the mind does rule over the left ventricle of the heart. So it, it, this is a natural thing for our brain to rule over our heart. And, not, and if it's ruling over our heart, it also rules over our mouth and on all of the organs of our body. So we actually do have this ability to control our actions. Now the altar says there is an exception to this. This is, this is not somebody who, this is not true for somebody who's a true Russia, a true wicked person. Because as the sages teach, because the sages teach that, that for Rashaim, for wicked people, their heart is not within their control at all. So while for a Bainani, so so there's so let's just break this down for a second. So there's there's three categories. There's the tzaddik, who we said has direct control over their heart and can control their emotions. A Bainani may not be able to have direct control over their heart, but they can they can have some type of dominion over their heart by controlling their mind and their thoughts. For a Russia, their heart controls them. For a Russia, they are under the total control of their heart. They are not able to control their hearts. And so 
why is this this is this inability to have control over themselves and to be under the rulership of their heart is actually a punishment for all of their sinning for all of the things that they did so this is you know going back to our example of an addict is at some point maybe at some point the addict eventually does not have control over their actions but at some point they did and it was those many choices that they chose to over and over and over and over gamble and or indulge in whatever addiction they have that led them to eventually lose their privilege of having a choice and this, by the way, is, you know, we're actually in the Parsha of Bo, where we're, uh, where we're learning about Paro and, you know, the plagues and everything like that. And this is a, one explanation that I've heard for, I, I, I don't know offhand from where, but for why it says that Paro, that Hashem Paro, um, hardened Paro's heart, where it says that Paro wanted to free the Jews at a certain point. And he just, you know, at a certain point, he actually wasn't able to be in control of his heart like he wanted to free them but yet there was something holding him back and so there are some explanations that say this is exactly what happened that it was through Paro choosing time and time and time again not to let the Jews free and to go against the will of God that eventually God actually took that choice away from him so this is what happens with Rashaim this is what the altar Rabbi is saying he says that these Rashaim these wicked people are actually called dead so even while they're alive, they're, they're considered dead because it's, you know, life, what is life but being able to choose and to have a certain type of agency over your life. And so he says that these were shime, these wicked people, they can't even begin to serve God without actually going and doing really, really deep tshuva on the past through breaking the klipos, breaking these husks that have served as this, this, uh, this screen that divides between them like an iron divider that divides between them and their father in heaven. So there is hope for even these Rashaim, even these people that have, you know, totally uh, become come under the dominion of their heart. If they can break their heart and through the bitterness within their soul and feeling a sense of bitterness within their soul over their past transgressions, then they can actually get go and return to God. And the altar Rebbe here cites the Zohar as support for this, where he, where the Zohar comments on the Pasuk from Tehillim, uh, chapter 51, verse 19, where it says, So the, you know, a sacrifice to Hashem is a broken spirit and a broken heart. That through breaking one's heart, one breaks this spirit of, uh, of Tumah of the Sitra Acha, of, of impurity of the Sitra Acha. And then the altar Rabbi puts a bracket here and he says, you should look there in Parshas Pinchas and in on page 240 and uh, on Parshas Vayikra, page 8 and on page 5a and in the commentary of Rabbi Moshe Zakuto there also. So just to sum up here a little bit. So once again, so we're talking about this idea that not only is it within the capacity of every person who is not a Russia, and this is, you know, our main focus, we're assuming that even though maybe some of us still have things that we need to work on in order to become a full Benoni, hopefully you're not in the category of a total, total, total Russia. So you still have this innate ability to have your mind rule over your heart. And thus, since this is the innate nature of the mind to rule of their of their heart every single person has this ability to utilize their mind to arouse within their heart enough motivation to serve God and not only is this something that's within every single person's capacity this is actually the entire purpose of man
And the only people that will not be able to do this and do not have this rulership over their over their mind and thus their heart in this way are those whose hearts rule them, which are the people that are total wicked. So this is, you know, what I liken to an addict, somebody who's so steeped in their transgressions that at a certain point as a punishment, God takes away their ability to to choose. And even for these kind of people, there is hope, there is redemption that what they need to do is they need to totally break their heart and really break themselves and this will lead them to come to chuva. So this is, you know, sort of like what people talk about in terms of addicts, again, going back to our parable, as the only way that an addict can really recover is they have to come to rock bottom, so to speak. So it's like they have to get to this point where they become totally, totally, totally broken. And then the words of the Tanya, what this breaking of the heart, what this breaking of the spirit does is it breaks the klipos. And this, uh, and these klipos is, are the things that are serving as this barrier between them and God. And this will lead them to ultimately being be able to regain this control and this capacity, which is really something that every living person should have to be able to have their mind rule over their heart and thus arouse this love and lead them to serve God. So I hope that made sense. And we're going to continue with this tomorrow. And I'll speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.